Blue Wire. Think about Lawrence. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott dodged the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Welcome into episode 148 of Press Pass. Kayla Anderson alongside my co-host Joshua Perry, fresh off what seemed to be a two-week period of time because that's what always happens during the holiday season. So Thanksgiving week, you know, a lot of people take off an extended amount of time. I, for one thing, had to work. I know you had to work because there was a ton of great college football. But I have to ask, how was your Thanksgiving, Joshua? I saw that nice picture of you and Maddie. So it looked like you guys had some fun. Yeah, she uh, she had the Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving, which is awesome. Uh, it's a 12-foot tw- <laughs> tree, so that thing is oh, a fair to wow. decorate, which I had nothing to do with. <laughs> but it was a good holiday. We had some people over. Uh, this is our our really our first six months in the house. So we're, you know, we did 4th of July and now we're doing Thanksgiving and we're going to have Christmas. And yeah, um, it's really been good to share our home and to open up our doors and to uh, really have a, a gathering place because as my, my parents have gotten older, they like less ruckus and commotion at their home. And um, Maddie's grandparents are older and they're the same way. They don't like anybody running up in and out. And we're <laughs> young and we, you know, we have the ability to do it. But it was a great holiday. I had a great plate. Thought it was going to be a uh, a better weekend, but uh, uh, we'll get into it. I know, and I am going to ask you about the Ohio State-Michigan game. I know not the outcome that you were looking for, and I'm, I'm e- eager to see kind of what you thought when we, when we break that down. But I, I did want to get into really quickly, because like I mentioned before, we always tape this right before – Um, the college football playoff rankings come out, but they're always very similar to those AP rankings for the most part. And so the AP rankings have come out after last weekend's games. We got Georgia at the top, but then we see a lot of movement. Obviously, Michigan moves up four spots to the number two spot. Cincinnati moving up a spot this week. And Alabama, after that insane Iron Bowl, somehow coming back to win that one, um, in overtime, what was it? Double overtime? I think it was four. No, yeah, it was four overtime. Let's let's times that by two. I, I had so yeah. much going on this week, and I was watching that. I forgot how many overtimes it went to. Yes, four overtimes. Uh, they did win it, so they, uh, however, moved down a spot to four. And then Oklahoma State, uh, you know, win over Oklahoma in their big rivalry this past weekend, and they move into the top five. As for your Buckeyes. They actually moved down a couple more spots behind um, Notre Dame, which is at six. They're at seven. Mm-hmm. So when you look at this first and foremost, before we get into why Ohio State has moved down now to that spot, are you okay with this top four? And do you think the college football playoff will be the same? Yeah, I mean, top four, as it sits for me right now, would be Georgia, Michigan jumps in there uh, deservedly. Mm-hmm. Um I would have probably Cincinnati would deserve to be at three, but I don't think they would do that. So Alabama three, Cincinnati four. Um, And then as you look at it from the outside looking in, I think Oklahoma state definitely has earned their way into it. 
Yeah. Um, I think Notre Dame is sitting right there just quietly lurking and they don't play in a conference championship. Um, yep. So a great spot for them to be in. But also like, you know, Baylor is a team with a couple of losses. It's never happened before, but you feel like the way they've been playing down the stretch that, you know, it's a, a unique option. So this is a, uh, this is a fun deal here. This is really unique in the fact that, you know, Alabama's still up there, but Michigan's never made this before. And Georgia's yeah. made it, but, um, you know, I think people are, are ready to see somebody else crowned as the leader of the SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cincinnati, obviously, as a group of five, is absolutely <laughs> wild in this situation. And even a team like Oklahoma State, the other OSU sitting right there yeah. um, with the position to get in, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting right now. It really is. And I think that is what has made this season a unique and B just so fun because week to week there have been upsets. There has been really for the most part, except for Georgia shifting of the college football playoff rankings, um, that, that top four. And so every week there's been some sort of a matchup whether we're surprised or it's a, a big matchup where there's going to have to be movement no matter what, because one team's going to have to lose. And so it's made for a really fun season. I know what was not fun for you this last weekend was the Ohio state loss. And Joshua, I, I do have to ask, you know, going into this, we knew this was going to be a challenge, right? But at yeah. the same time, you felt like Ohio state was really starting to play it's best football, but so was Michigan. The only thing when I looked at that matchup, because in so many times in the past, Harbaugh just hasn't been able to get his guys to rise to the occasion. Mm -hmm. And then you argue, this is probably the more talented team, more complete team that he's had, but Mm -hmm. you still in the back of your mind have that thought like Harbaugh just hasn't been able to beat the Buckeyes. And it happened. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me pour this drink here real quick for (laughs) For the listeners. Couple yeah, there we go. Yeah, it's a heavy drink here. That, I gotta get my mind right right now. Wow. Yeah. What can I ask what your your drink of choice is there? It's a little wine. If this was liquor, that'd be a real problem. <laughs> um, all right. I love it. I love it. So let it. me start off by saying this. And I put this tweet out um last Sunday. I yes. said interesting about yesterday, talking about the, the previous Saturday. I viewed Michigan as the most complete team in the Big Ten, which they are. But OSU showed their most complete performance, which they did against Michigan State. And then I said, I viewed OSU as the most explosive Big Ten team, but Michigan had its most explosive performance, each squad rounding out ahead of Saturday's clash. And a lot of people took exception to the fact that I said that Michigan was the most complete team in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of folks were enamored by Ohio State's explosion offensively. But if you had watched Michigan down the stretch, They had shown that they were rounding out as a team. And what I mean by that is their defensive line was coming to play, which elevated the play of their linebackers, which gave their secondary a chance against some good wide receiver cores. And then you look at their offense and it's obviously run the ball is where they want to start it. But in five of their six matchups leading into the the most recent five of six matchups leading into the Ohio state game, they had thrown for more yards than they had run for. So this narrative that, Michigan could not fill the ball was exactly that. It was all narrative. It was something that was driven by people not actually watching the football games. Now I had anticipated, and this was one of the things I said was that Ohio state would be able to pull away in this game because the wide receivers for Ohio state would be 
too much for Michigan to handle down the stretch. Mm -hmm. And CJ Stroud ended up throwing for almost 400 yards and they had two wide receivers that went for over a hundred yards receiving a piece. So Ohio state offensively, I think did some things well, but here's where the difference was for Ohio state and, and where Michigan really showed that they were the dominant team was in the trenches on either side of the ball where Michigan's defensive line gave Ohio State's offensive line issues all day long. In the run game, there were no creases. There was very little movement. Running backs weren't able to really hit the plays that we've seen them hit early on in the year for Ohio State. In the pass game, Aiden Hutchinson, number 97, who I said was a problem, was a problem. Three sacks in that game became the single-season sack leader for Michigan in that game with those three sacks. David Ojabo, who I also said was a problem had one sack and numerous pressures. Those were two first-round defensive ends, and Ohio State thought that they could just go out there and block them like they were any old body in the Big Ten, and it did not work. Um, When you look at what Michigan was able to do in with their offensive line against Ohio State's uh, front seven defensively, it was a thorough domination. And what's wild is Michigan finished off the first half of that game with more passing yards than they had rushing yards. And it was because they were able to run the ball into a second and four situation constantly to where they could throw the ball and take shots downfield. And Ohio State did not know what was coming. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is where the tide really turned. And this is where Michigan decided that they were just going to finish the game running the ball was in the second half. Ohio State was getting the ball. They went three and out where I'm not exactly sure it's a three and out, but they punted. And then Michigan got the ball, went down in three plays, 81 yards, all rushes, and scored the football. Then Ohio State gets it back. They punt again, and Michigan goes down the field. I think this time it was about five plays. It was uh, three passes and two runs, and they score. And then after that, they said, okay, we can just – we can bleed the clock at this point. We can just run the ball down the field because we have a lead, and they literally can't stop our run game. And – as a former linebacker, and this is what I'll end with uh, on just kind of the, the game breakdown, because we got some other things to dive into on this one. As a former linebacker, it it people have been critical of Ohio State's scheme, and I think uh-huh. it's been bad. And we talked about it after the Oregon game, and I had made mention numerous times on this show that I didn't think that everything was fixed even leading into this game. You did, I thought, yeah. I thought they played well against Michigan State, but I also said we have to see them repeat it because they hadn't done it. Exactly. Um, And so people have been upset about the scheme and rightfully so. But when you look at that game, there, there is no scheme that teaches players to get off of blocks and to tackle, right? That is just something that is based off of desire and pride. Yes. Yes. And there was not one player who took control of that defense and said, guys, look, I don't give a damn what coach is calling. If we don't get off of blocks and we don't make tackles and we don't all pursue to the ball, then we're not going to win regardless. And that was the part that really broke my heart about the game is Ohio State allowed themselves to be bullied. And Michigan wanted to do that. And and Ohio State had to play the game the way Michigan wanted them to. And it wasn't a winning formula for the Buckeyes. No. And and look, I, I don't like to give, again, I'm honest on this podcast and I'm a little biased sometimes and, you know, whatever. That's It's our podcast. We can do what we want. Um, and I don't like to give Harbaugh credit for anything. I, I still don't really love him as a coach <laughs> in terms of I don't feel like he's 
just because you have one good season, like you're, you've, you fix things moving forward. I, right. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go there yet, but cause I feel like you got to do it more than one year. Right. Sure. Um, but I will say that he had a hell of a game plan. Yes. And I will say that his players, like they have done pretty much the entire season have bought in yeah. to what he's doing. They so have his identity. Exactly. So there yeah. has clearly been change at Michigan yes, from has. what has been happening the years prior. Yeah. Whatever that was, when when it happened, what the changing, the, the turning point was, I am not exactly sure, Joshua, yeah. but at some point, Michigan, you kind of felt like was going to have to win this game to, to, yes. to move forward, and they did it. And, and let me tell you what it what it was for this program in Michigan. And um, I, I, you know, again, obviously bitter rival. Um, yeah. But I, I respect the hell out of Jim Harbaugh because yeah. he took his lumps. He yeah. took a reduced contract that was incentive heavy yeah. and bet on himself. And then he made a lot of tough changes. And he brought in a bunch of guys who are 35 and younger yeah. to coach that football team. And it brought a renewed sense of energy. It brought energy to the Absolutely. way that they operate just in terms of practice and meetings. It brought energy to the way that they operate in terms of the rivalry. And you talked to Mike Hart, who played in that rivalry, and he yeah. was a big part of shifting Jim Harbaugh's mindset. And then you look at the fact that on offense, it was an egoless offense all year long to yeah. where the players didn't have an ego. If it was a run the ball game, the wide receivers were out there trying to knock defensive backs on their ass so their running backs could get creases. And if it was a throw the ball game, then the running backs were laying it out in pass protection so their quarterback could hold up and they could put the ball down the field. And for the coaching staff, it wasn't Jim Harbaugh's scheme. It wasn't Josh Gaddis's scheme. It was whoever, whatever scheme they needed to call offensively to be successful. And that's the difference is there were no egos anywhere. Everybody brought it back down to the base level of fundamentals and having fun playing the game of football with a renewed sense of energy and really a renewal of this idea that they could focus on Ohio State as a true rival. Because I feel like mm -hmm. there was a time for the last couple of years where they say, well, you know, we have Michigan State and we have yeah. Ohio State and we have Notre Dame. And this year it was all beat Ohio. Yeah. And you can tell. No, exactly. Well, so really quickly, two things. First of all, Michigan is going to play Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. Um, will that even be like something that they need to worry about? And I know every game, yeah, obviously every game is, you know, you could be beat. But is 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 that a Michigan game that is going to be won and you don't really have to worry about it? And if so, how dangerous is Michigan in the college football playoff? So Iowa's a 10-2 and two football team, and they made it up as high as, what, number two yeah. in uh, the polls at one point during the season. So this is a very good football team that has a, an offense that is not great and has been inconsistent, but a defense yeah. that, they've, that has been able to carry them. Okay. And so if you're Michigan, you are the better team, you are the hotter team, you are the more complete team, you are the team with the better players. But you can be beaten in this game. This is yeah. not just a gimme type of game. They're going to have to play really well in order to beat Iowa. In saying that, I think more of the pressure in terms of who who has to do more to win the game is absolutely on Iowa. I, I think yeah. they're at a disadvantage simply because of the way that their offense has played uh, down the stretch there. Now, in terms of the college football playoff, 
I am not exactly sure that Michigan's offense is built to go against a team like Georgia. Okay. Um, I think Michigan could hold up defensively. And, and the defensive turnaround for Michigan is something that needs to be talked about because they were abysmal a year ago. Like, that was a very bad defense. They were yeah. giving up something close to, like, I remember talking you know, about that. 37 points per game, and now they're giving up 15 on average or something crazy yep. like that. I mean, a total turnaround. But um, when it comes to their offense, and I think they're, they like to be methodical, and they like to own the tempo, and they want to grind the ball. They can throw it, but it's not a super explosive throw game. Yeah. Against a defense like Georgia's with big athletes that are very fast, I think they can be suffocated. That would be a, yep. a big challenge. But they're one of the, the four best teams in the nation right now, and I think that's pretty obvious by the way they performed on Saturday against Ohio State. And one quick note on Ohio State, now that you know clearly they're, they're out of that college football playoff talk, like what what needs to happen moving forward for this team this uh i guess not just team but just the entire program to to continue to compete there at the top yeah i'm not one to um call for people's jobs or call for yeah. people's positions like i feel like yeah. you know it's it's hard for media people to to do that yep. um without being in the room yeah. in the situation Exactly. Like this one, there are, there are other obvious situations that we've talked about where, right. you know, a coach has to go. Yeah. In saying that, I also think football is a very evaluation friendly um, sport where mm-hmm. like the evaluation happens. If you get your ass knocked off, like that is your evaluation right there. It wasn't good enough. Um, and so I think everybody should be up for evaluation. I think there needs to be a lot of hard conversations about the direction of the defense specifically and um, coaching personnel as well, as well as, Uh, players on that side of the football and what they need to do to get better there. But I also think that this, this is reminiscent. And some people said uh, this is reminiscent to them of 2016 when um, Ohio state lost to Clemson 31 to nothing in a bowl game. And I disagree because that was a game where basically afterwards Ed Warner was gone and Tim Beck was gone and Ryan day ended up coming in as a replacement. And I disagree with that. I think this is more reminiscent to me of 2013 when I was playing where Ohio state was 12 and 0 in, in 2012. And uh, we knew we were a good team, but we definitely had some issues. And then all of 2013, those issues carried over. Our defense was not a very good unit and Everett Withers ended up leaving for uh, James Madison. And we brought in Chris Ash to coordinate the defense. It was a different style. It was a different way of teaching. We went back to fundamentals. But the other thing that we did as a program was we were very militant that off season where like our coaches were literal tyrants and we would play a low light video uh, of the games where we were getting our ass kicked Mm -hmm. before we would go in the weight room and work out. And that bred a mentality of toughness, a mentality of rent is due every single day in this sport of competitive spirit of hunger. And I think a lot of that needs to go on within Ohio State's program, because I I think that there are a lot of guys on that roster who are extremely good players, but have never truly felt resistance in in their career at Ohio State, because, you know, Ryan Day in year one makes it to a national semifinal, and then in year two, he makes it to a national championship game. And so I think players on the roster really need to feel what it's like to get 
kicked in the tush every single day during an off season. Yeah. And understand that uh, winning is not as easy as what it's felt like around Ohio state for the last couple of years. And I think that's a really simple fix to some of the things that we've seen on the field. Yeah, I agree with you. And sometimes there there's resets in programs that happen and they don't have to be major. Like some of these have, you know, they've reset, but not really ever (laughs) started back up like USC and, and Texas just to name a couple. But when you have maybe a a little bit of a, I guess, a disappointing season just for the fact that you don't make it to the college football playoff, which is something that they've done really consistently, Mm -hmm. it it is in a way a reset, a small minor reset that I feel like is very doable and is not going to, you know, be this big issue. I'm telling Um, you right now, a a mentality shift for this team, I think works wonders. I I truly yes. Because yes. it's talented enough, and I think that there are um, there are good enough minds in that building currently, and that's without even you know doing the evaluation and saying, okay, what if we we actually did bring somebody else in from the outside? Yeah. Um, but that simple thing right there will cause everybody to rise above their current level, and <laughs> this is the wild part about it is the down level for Ohio State is ten wins, right? So you get yeah. them to rise above what their best level is and you're you're looking at the college football playoff again it's it's that simple to me it is and that's just the the consistency of of winning and making it a culture there um that you just for the most part haven't gotten away from it's just it's really impressive and again sometimes you just need a little kick in the butt so i i think that the Ohio state buckeyes they're going to be just fine a conference that might be fine in the future moving forward is a conference that I specifically, I'm not going to drag you into it, but you've agreed with me on many points, mm-hmm. have been extremely down on in the last few yeah. years. And I bring the Pac-12 up a lot on this podcast and I'm not nice. And I'm very blunt about my feelings about how it's digressed overall as a conference And a big reason why is because USC has not been relevant as a program nationally. And um, say what you want, but it's not been close. And they needed to make a hire that was a splash hire that was going to go in there and make the changes that need to be made for USC to be relevant again. And lo and behold, the news came out this past weekend and it was big. It yep. was very big. And Oklahoma lost to Oklahoma State. Lincoln Riley was asked about the LSU job, and he did not lie. He said, I am not going to LSU. What he did not say is that he was headed to Southern California, and that is exactly what happened. USC has announced Lincoln Riley as their new head coach. He actually has already uh, talked. He did that on monday he did his press conference as they introduced him as the new head coach and joshua this is in my opinion not only a home run for usc but for the entire pac-12 yep and we've talked about um what usc would need to do in terms of a coach yep and one of the things that we had mentioned was the proximity to elite talent especially at the quarterback position and wouldn't a guy like lincoln riley 
do really good in a place <laughs> where he didn't have to go too far to find the next great quarterback. Yes. Lo and behold, here we are. <laughs> but the thing that was that struck me about this is we had talked about USC and or, I'm sorry, LSU. And a lot of people had made mention of that being the spot, as you said. And Lincoln Riley had denied, denied, denied. Mm-hmm. And this deal blindsided everybody. Yeah. Players in that program, coaches in that program, administration for Oklahoma. College football insiders, there, I mean, there were a lot of people who, this wasn't reported. This this wasn't leaked. There was nothing wow. going on. And the thing that's really interesting to me is a lot of times, and, and, and I talked about this before, the biggest issue with the midseason firings is it gives the hot candidates time to renegotiate with their current schools if yeah. they feel like they want to stay and they can milk them for money. And so that's where the leaks come. But this was either a situation where USC's athletic director really understood how to work the back channels without letting any information out or Lincoln Riley was ready to go. And you can make a case that based off of what happened this year with the the quarterbacks and some of the switching around and the criticism and uh, people spying on his practices and, and releasing information in the media, he might have felt like it was really time to move on. Sure. And now some of the details that are coming out and I don't, I don't, these are unconfirmed. But it's just really interesting to see here if any of this is true. Ah, Lincoln Riley. Unreal. USC contract. Again, details not confirmed. $110 million. USC is buying both of his homes in Norman. And he has two homes there because he was finishing building a new one for $500,000 over asking. So basically, it's a million-dollar bonus right there. They're buying him a $6 million home in Los Angeles and a limited use of the private jet for the family. So- the uh, I mean, obviously, it's a lot of money, and I'm I'm gonna get into to Mel Tucker's thing too. Talk about a lot of money. Um, yeah. But the thing that stands out here for me is the buying of the home in L.A. for him, because one of the things that I have mentioned on this show is that job is really unattractive because it's probably hard to hire assistants when they have to go to Southern California and pay for housing when they could be paying for housing in Oklahoma exactly. or in Indiana or in Ohio or Michigan. Um, so this has to be a part of the package for assistance, but talk about a home run. And if you're the PAC 12, you'll love it because you got a young hotshot guy who can keep talent in that footprint. And if you're Lincoln Riley, this makes perfect sense because Oklahoma's going to the sec. Talk about the resistance of trying to make the playoff there versus the PAC freaking 12, yeah. which is wide ass open every single year. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and you're you're exactly right, and and that's the thing that we we mentioned when we thought Lincoln Riley was more of a fit at a place like USC. Look, hands down, I just don't think I don't even think he was a fit at LSU. I just I think no. that LSU that's a fit job. You got to fit LSU. Like that's not just yeah. a job that just because you're a name you go there. I thoroughly right. believe you've got to fit that job. Um, I just felt like Lincoln Riley was more apt to go to someplace like USC, like we mentioned on the previous broadcast, because of what is at his fingertips in terms of the quarterbacks that are in Southern California, being able to keep some of them there. And you knew at this point that USC was going to do everything they could to give their new head coach the resources that they need to make USC relevant again. And that is exactly what they're doing now with Lincoln Riley. Um, And I just think that, it's just one of those things that, yeah, it comes with a lot of pressure because 
Lincoln Riley has to be able to now elevate this program, but it, he, I think he's going to be able to do it just because again, you mentioned you're in the PAC 12. You can, you can pretty much have a clear path to the college football playoff once you get things going there. And if you were Oklahoma headed to the sec, just the juggernaut of the schedule every single week, it's a tougher spot in terms of getting to the college football playoff and winning it. And so I just think that it made sense. And I think it's a great thing for the Pac-12 because the more that you can get, you know, USC up to the top, the more relevant the Pac-12 will become. And it just, it needs to be a better conference. I also wanted to mention Washington hired uh, Fresno State's Kalen DeBoer this week. Do you know about Kalen DeBoer? No, I mean, I know brief things about Kalen DeBoer. I know a little bit Probably not what you know. Yeah. Um, I was just going to jump in and say he was at Indiana. Um, phenomenal. That's Absolutely right. Absolutely phenomenal. That's there. right. And players loved him. They, they wanted to retain him so bad, but going to Fresno was going home for him. It was. Uh, I believe, yeah. I believe he played there. Yeah. Um, and, and so it made a lot of sense. They did not want him to leave. He was so good there. And yeah. so this is, I think this is a great hire in Fresno state. What they were able to do this year was phenomenal. They started off fast. They kept going fast. And now he's going to a place in Washington. Yeah. You very well know that's a proud program. And that is a program when it's humming, it's really humming. It is. And it's a good opportunity for him to kind of, you know, take the next step in in college football in terms of being a program, again, that has a lot of rich tradition that, again, has competed in the college football playoff, didn't didn't really do well, but could get there again if they wanted to. But just more programs in the Pac-12, you just hope that they can, you know, rise the level of, of play within the conference. And then, you know, Washington State, I'm so proud of what, you know, this team has done over the past few weeks with everything they went through with Nick Rolovich, you know, pretty much, um, you know, leaving because he wouldn't get vaccinated. And this Jake Dickert came in and he completely like had the team buy into him and he earned this head coaching position. And sure enough, they hired him. They made that announcement this past weekend. I think he's going to be great. He's super young. He's an up and comer. Um, he has that program. I, I believe headed in a really good direction. Um, and so I'm excited for the PAC 12 after this week and three really good hires. I, I just, I think the future is bright and I have not been able to say that. Yeah, recruiting is going to be key for that conference. I I think that they've done all the right things, just like you said. They have to keep the talent that exists in that footprint within that footprint. It's been the thing that's been killing them the most lately is bad coaching hires and then the fact that they can't keep the, the, the great talent that's there around. Exactly. So you have to hope for that as well. Before we uh, we we uh, get on to the one last coaching topic that I wanted to ask you about, since there are vacancies still, you wanted to talk about Mel Tucker's contract, speaking of contracts, because you found some interesting things when you dig deep. Yep. So basically, um, <laughs> the these coaches and, and I I guess I should become a coach's agent the way that they're they're structuring yeah. these deals. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe, maybe we should go on the other side and we should be the consulting firm for the athletic department. So they don't get murdered on these deals. Yeah, um, right. Mel, Mel Tucker, $95 million, Woo. right? 10 years. So Ten nine years. and a half a year, basically. Um, the wild part about this deal is that if he leaves, 
mm-hmm. he has to pay liquid damages to the school oh. of two and a half million dollars at its maximum. Oh. And that that drops every couple of years. Whereas um I can't remember who signed oh James Franklin. His buyout is twelve million if he wants to leave. And oh, wow. Mel's money is fully guaranteed unless he's fired with cause. Holy smokes. So if if they just say, all right, Mel, we're ready to be done, and he didn't, there was no breach of contract or anything like that, he gets they're it on the hook for the Ooh, whole me. thing. Yeah. Dang. Right. And that's so that's kind, all I wanted to say. <laughs> well, and that's kind of when you know some of these schools just like, they just want to like make sure they have their coach, right? All right. So we'll talk about that, Caleb, because I think you bring up a wonderful point there. If you had to rank the attractiveness of jobs in the Big Ten East, and I know I'm just throwing this at you right now without preparation, what would you rank them? Just the Big Ten East. Hmm. Okay. Let me let me look really quick so I have yep. everything in front of me. Now take your time because it'd be really <laughs> curious to hear your answer because I think okay. the answer kind of gives you the explanation here. Okay. So. I am going to take a look at the East right now, and I am going to rank. Okay, so I just think, like, right out of the gates, and and maybe this is because, again, I've covered the program, but I would have to put Ohio State at the You're top. You're 100% right. That's not okay. even, Yeah. Um, I would say with the tradition, the history, I would probably put Michigan next. And that's how people nationally view it as well as recruits, so you're probably right there. Okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put just for the recent success, maybe again, uh, the tradition of the program, I'll probably put Penn State up there. And that's what a lot of people would see from the outside as well. Okay. And then I'm going to go ahead and put Michigan State next. All right. And so we can stop the, uh, the exercise right there. Okay. Um, you pay Mel Tucker $95 million because you understand that you are the fourth most attractive job within your division in a highly competitive conference that always has a chance to make the college football playoff and always has a team that makes a title run. Michigan state did it in 2015. Um, You, when you feel like you got the guy, you hold on to his ass. And that's exactly what went on right there. You are exactly right. That's a great point. And that is just really that is what coaching is nowadays in terms of some of them do have the upper hand when it comes to that. Cause yep. there's just not an abundance of coaches that, you know, are going to be able to take you to they don't grow the places trees. that you want to go. Exactly. Yeah. And so when you have one that you believe in, that has done really good things for you, you, you almost are, your, your hands are tied. You can't they have are. to give them what they want. Right. Yep. yep. I wish so- I, I wish I was like, I wish like TV networks, like did that for yeah. me. That'd be awesome. That's that's the next step for us in our career. Well, exactly. I was, I was joking with Maddie and, and if any of my bosses actually ever listen to this podcast, this is 100% a joke. Um, but I've been seeing these coaching contracts lately and I'm like, okay, so I know that at the end of this game for me, if I play my cards right and I can yep. make it to what I think I can be in media, then this will be a perfectly fine career. But I, I'm looking be. at these coaching contracts and I'm like, holy moly, because yes. all you got to do is hitch your wagon to one of these guys who is like one of the, the boy genius type coaches. And as, as a, an assistant coach, the lowest paid assistant at Ohio State right now is making 400K a year. 
And out of out of some of the programs in the conference, Ohio State doesn't have to pay assistance as much as the other programs do because it's such an attractive job. Like True that. I mean, the the money is crazy right now. It is. It the money is just it's flying off the trees. I'm telling yeah. you. And and I'll say this as the last thing on on this topic. But when the coaches get a raise, what typically comes with that is is a an increase in the salary pool. So the assistant coaches get a bump so they can retain really good assistance or they can attract really good assistance as well. Yeah. So you look at what's happening for Mel Tucker. Uh, I believe a part of his deal was an increase in the salary pool as well. And so now all of those guys are benefiting from the fact that they hitched their wagon to a guy who is a really phenomenal coach. Yep. And, and again, that's just, that's a great point again. I mean, it's more than just the coach, it's the staff and, and you know, being able to, be rewarded as well in all those other different coordinating positions and, you know, making sure it's not just the coach that runs the program. They, they got to have all their guys there as well. So uh, that is really definitely a different type of world we're living in when it comes to college football. It goes up another level every year. I feel like Um, the final thing I wanted to talk about was a couple of these vacancies really quick. Notre Dame now uh, head coach Brian Kelly is possibly being uh, you kind of scouted to to be the next head coach at LSU. And I know that there's also things that these agents are doing for their clients, their head coach clients in terms of, hey, getting the name out there, making it a story so that you can get some more money where you currently are. I just think it's just something where Brian Kelly feels like he could go to LSU and actually do more there. Um, Or does he feel like Notre Dame is still the place where he could get it done? I think that's what it comes down to. Is he a legitimate fit? Well, you know, I brought this up on the last show as well about the – the thought process that Brian Kelly has done just about everything he could do at Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, and you have to understand that job. He took him to a national championship against Alabama in 2012 mm-hmm. and he had a, a really bad year. And I think it was 2016. They went like four and eight. And then since then he's had five straight 10 win seasons. He's made it to the college football playoff multiple times, but at Notre Dame, they are hamstrung because that is a prestigious academic. academic institution. Yep. And they cannot admit everybody. Yep. Like some of these other schools, like they can do things to admit guys who aren't ordinarily admissible. Notre Dame has a harder time getting that done. Yeah. And so you look at the job that he's done there and you say, job well done. He's he's the winningest coach in that program's history. He could go to LSU and without restrictions on who he can recruit, could be extremely successful. And I think it's interesting because early on in LSU's process, they reached out to him. This is something I heard from one of my insider friends. And uh, he said, no, I'm cool. And then they went hard after Lincoln Riley and Lincoln Riley obviously said, there's a better job out there for me. Yep. And so now they're back on it. And I think he is strongly considering the fact that, uh, that LSU is a place that has had three coaches win a national title this century. Yep. And it's a place that has really good proximity to recruiting and they don't have as many regulations about who they can admit. And I think it's an attractive position, but now this opens up part of the conversation from a week ago. Um, If you're Luke Fickle and Notre Dame's a vacancy, I mean, is that not your job? And, and 
Marcus Freeman, who is the defensive coordinator at yep. Notre Dame, was also the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati, and he played for Luke Fickle at Ohio State. Is is your infrastructure not already there? If that's the case, like, do you not take a hard look at that? And then if you're Cincinnati, who do you end up hiring? Yeah. Um, you know, Mike Tressel is the defensive coordinator right now at Cincinnati. He's been at uh, Michigan State as well, and he comes from a coaching lineage. Is that Jim's son? Um, I think it's his brother, Dick's okay. son, if I'm not okay. mistaken. But I mean, he—they're—it's a coaching family. It's a whole coaching well, ass yeah. family. They got—they got a couple guys who are high school coaches up here in in my school district. They're all over. Yeah. Um, do you not hire him, and then he, you know he gets to take his next step? But this is what is interesting now about the coaching carousel that exists is yep. Lincoln Riley leaves. So who do you hire at Oklahoma? And then if Notre Dame, if uh, Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame, who do you hire there? And then whoever leaves that job, who do you hire? And this is what the fun is. And a guy we haven't brought up yet. One of our favorite guys, Lane Kiffin. Like, what do you do about him? Because he's in the conversation somewhere. That's well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I feel like there's a possibility he could go to Oklahoma I mean, Billy Napier is going to Florida. We we found Which that out. Which is a really good past. hire. It's a great hire. Um, and so, really, for me, I think if if Lane's going to consider anything at this point, I would think that that's the job he considers is Oklahoma. But is it so, worth? I don't know. Is it? Is it? I mean, yeah, it's definitely a, a way bigger program than you. Ole you Miss. avoid that one, and here's here's why: is he's built an infrastructure at Ole Miss to win ten games in a really tough conference and Oklahoma is about to join that conference. I think from a position of disadvantage I because agree. of proximity to recruits. Yep. And this is a really interesting one that I've heard rumblings about from folks who are in the know, but Miami could open up if Lane yeah. Kiffin decides he wants that job. And yep. wouldn't you rather be in the state of Florida recruiting to the ACC, which is a conference that's down, especially with Clemson being down and have an opportunity to make the college football playoff. Yeah. Well, and to be able to say like, you know, Lane Kiffin is, is a, is a name that could do wonders for Miami. Miami has not been relevant for years and years. And that is a program that is still known. And we still talk about to this day as being a brand in college football. It's still a brand, right? You is a brand. brand. But yeah. could you imagine how great college football would be if the and U became a relevant brand again? He was a head coach in the state of Florida as well, not too long ago. Yeah. I don't, you know, let's not forget about that. He it was. would be, and he would be the guy for it because he's oh, young. Oh, he'd dude. be perfect. He's a flashy dude. He's not afraid to chirp. And that's nope. been kind of the persona of the U is guys who are brazen and they're not afraid to express. Um, and I think that he's also matured in a lot of ways. It's been a question yep. about him. Why he's so polarizing is as a young coach, and again, as young as he was, he lacked the maturity to really have the success. Yeah. And the time that he spent around Nick Saban worked wonders because from what I've heard, they used to absolutely have it out. But yeah. at the end of the day, he was deferential because of the respect and he knew it was good for his career. Absolutely. And I think he's taken those lessons. That would be really fun. It's not a job that's technically open, but it, for the right guy, I'm sure it would be. I think so too. And I would say that that's something to keep our eye on. Again, you know, if USC could, could get things going here in the next couple of years under Lincoln Riley, which that's going to be expected. Um, and maybe a guy like Lane Kiffin goes to a Miami. If we can get USC and Miami going. All right. So man. here's, here's the conversation, Kayla. 
is USC humming, Miami yep. humming. Yep. Michigan Ooh. is as the top four team in the country right now humming. Like this is what college football is supposed to be. And yeah. I think this solves a lot of the issues about folks who are mad that it's just Alabama and Ohio State Boom. and Clemson yep. every single year. Well, now it would be Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson. You got Oklahoma, who I'm sure is going to make a splash higher. You would have USC as a, a really good program. You would have Miami back in the mix. Notre Dame's in there. Clemson's going to be back. I promise you that. Like, this is what we dream of in a college football scenario is the brands are really in control. And then some of the the next tier of the Michigan states who locked in a long-term deal and the Penn states of the world who have just locked the coach in long-term are really good teams as well. This is what we wanted. Exactly. And that's what eventually when we get a college football playoff, what's going to make it even more fun because there's going to be so many more of these teams that can make it interesting that anybody can win year in and year out from those power teams. Um, I just think it would make for really fun years in terms of college football, bringing it back a little bit uh, to what it used to be and nothing wrong with what things, you know, have transpired over the years. Like there's new things, there's new traditions, but it's always, you're never going to, you're never going to completely go away from those old programs like those are always going to be there that we're talking about so why not make them relevant again i think that's the point i'm i'm trying to make here so yeah. it's I, it's great as a fan I, yeah. I mean we talk about it all the time like we're so invested in the game of college football yep and the fact that we could have these first off the personalities that are leading these programs yes are phenomenal yep but also the fact that we have the brands that people recognize as the the contenders and the leaders and also now some new emerging brands that are these challengers that could feasibly make a 12 team playoff. Like I named seven teams is, is like the brands that we've recognized recently. And then I went on and I named a couple more, but like that was, that gets us to, to nine that I named and there'd be three more spots for Cincinnati or whomever. Exactly. That is phenomenal. That is. And so that's what I think we're going to see a lot of stuff happening in the next couple of months. And again, just more fun things for us to talk about here on Press Pass. And again, if you guys have not listened to this before and this is your first time, we always like to just bring up the notion that, uh, you know, we're not we're not bragging. It's more of a humble brag. But like we, it's a we definitely yeah, we definitely hit kind of our topics and we hit on them a lot. And so I feel like if you want to be ahead of the game in college football in terms of what's going on, I would I would recommend listening, you know, yeah. just going to put it out there. I would I would second by saying and we talked about this before the show, Kayla and I did, but um, neither one of us are truly insiders. Like I, right. I get some info and I get some knowledge and you do as well just from being around the business. But like we're not we're not tied in nope. to the ADs and no. the boosters and the movers and the shakers. We are two people who yep. are very absorbed with college football, mm -hmm. who are really into the game. I would consider mm -hmm. us both football minds. I who, think so. Who just explore what would make sense and yes. what we predict would be a sensible reality in this sport. And lately, <laughs> we, we've been pretty spot on with this stuff. Um, and we put the time and the effort and the work in to bring you guys uh, hopefully a really good show. And uh, I know Kayla busts her ass at this stuff and, and she's 
got it a little bit harder than I do. Um, but we're trying to deliver for you guys. Well, no, I, I appreciate your insight each and every week, Joshua. It's, it's really, truly, um, it's really great insight and coming from a guy who tells it how it is, but also is around the game, you know, a lot. And with you being a big 10 contributor, obviously too, it's been so awesome to get your insight on everything when it comes to the Big Ten specifically as well. So I just think if you're looking for a great college football podcast, and again, it, it's such a great sport. It, there's never a dull moment. Just think about subscribing to Press Pass. Really easy to do. Uh, just click on that subscribe button, and we will bring you some new fun things every single week. Joshua, he has also a, a Twitter account and Instagram. You can follow him at... You can follow me at RIP underscore JEP and really check the Twitter because, yeah. you know, it, I've pissed some people off lately, but I've been keeping it real. It's um, great. And this is what we do is, is the hard reality. Also the fun reality. It is. It's it, Twitter is just a box of fun and not always, it's not always nice on there, but a lot of the times you can have some really fun conversations and learn some things. Uh, you can follow me at Kayla Anderson TV on both, Twitter and Instagram. As for this weekend, when it comes to uh, conference championships, good luck to your teams. If they are playing in a conference championship, hopefully uh, you guys get the spots you want in terms of full games and the college football playoff will obviously be something that we will see uh, the final rankings here this next weekend. So we'll have a lot to talk about next week, Joshua. So appreciate again your time and appreciate you all for tuning in. Have a great weekend.